Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. And if you like what you hear today, please um, do rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. And I want to take a moment to thank our top patrons, and they are Philip Barker, Michael Cross, and Josh Johnson. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, I have a returning guest today. I have Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hello. It is so good to be back. Thank you, Lisa. How are you? Doing very well. Yes. uh, The last time I had you on, we were talking about the movie Chef. Yes, we did. Yes, which is a great film. Um, (laughs) But if people haven't heard that episode before, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Sure, 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 sure. Um, So I'll go brief into what I talked about last time, but I am a higher education professional here in the DFW area of Texas. Um, Outside of that, I am a freelance actor, musician, voice coach, talked heavily about voice dialect last time. If you want to keep that conversation going, it's going to come up with this movie foreshadowing. Um, And um, since the last time I've become a dad. So. Oh, um, congratulations. Thank you. That's going to factor in. Absolutely. That's going to factor in a lot to why I chose the movie I chose, but yeah, my, uh, my twin boys just turned 17 months today. So oh as of this recording. Oh my gosh, twins. So, wow, mm-hmm. that's a huge life change. I mean, it's already a life change to be bad, <laughs> but two children, yep, wow. Absolutely. And I wouldn't honestly have it any other way. They're oh. awesome and they make me so happy every single day. And they're definitely inspiration for the movie that I chose today, but it's so good to be back. Um, I've definitely, I haven't uh, done all that much since we last spoke other than, you know, be a dad and keep two tiny humans alive for as long as possible. So that's about the best I got for it. So I'm just ready to jump in. I'm very excited about this movie, if you can't tell. Okay. I'm, I'm going to ask a personal question. Do twins run in your family? They don't. Uh, really? My, wow. My grandpa's dad was a twin, but that is four generations removed from my boys. Oh, so wow. I don't think that it would be anything. And they don't run in my wife's family either. It was hmm. just kind of a thing that happened. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, um, yes. So my guest usually picks the movie, almost always picks the movie. People always say, can I talk about this? Can I talk about that? And the answer is, if you pick it, then yes. Mm -hmm. Um, What movie did you choose to talk about today? I chose the Pixar classic from 2003, Finding Nemo. Oh, 
Nice. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't talked about this one before. I, I am so surprised, too. I thought for sure that it would have come up on your show, but I did a search through all of your, your back catalog, and I was like, this is open? I can do this one? Okay, let's rock and roll. Here we go. Nice. <laughs> awesome. I have a confession. I don't think I've ever watched this movie all the way through. Oh, man. Oh, man. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> uh, this is, yep, yeah, no, it is a personal favorite of mine. And I didn't think it was until I had the boys. Uh, so it's definitely become a big part of our lives and I can get into more detail on it, but I did just want to introduce the topic on the movie. I know it's incredibly popular. I'm, I'm honestly a little shocked that you haven't seen it, but this will, have, this will be a very interesting spin on the conversation if you haven't seen it all the way through. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I really enjoy it um but yeah i had never seen it before mm. no it's it's definitely it's one that i i come back to every so often it came out in 2003 i must have been in my teens when that happened um but i don't remember seeing the movie in theaters i think it was one of those where i was still in my teenager phase of oh it's hyped even though i love disney i got over the oh i'm too old for disney very quickly when I became a teenager, but I was like, oh, this is still too hyped. Uh, let wow. me let me be a be a teenage hipster about a Pixar movie about fish and not go see it in the theaters. And it came out on demand. That this is where at the time when on demand was like the new thing. And so we were always looking to see what was available. And I and it came out. We got it. I watched it one afternoon with my sister. And I was like, why did I wait to see this movie? It's so good. Even as a kid, I was thinking that. And yeah. It's just come into my life more often than not. Uh, I was asked by a coworker to name my Pixar Mount Rushmore. When I first came up with it, this movie was not on that list. It is not oh, my really? favorite Pixar movie. My favorite Pixar yeah. movie is Monsters, Inc. I love that movie. That's another oh, that's sentimental favorite. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. But the more I like would revisit it, the more I was like, no, this is one of the most perfect movies that existed. I, I have a high bar for what I consider a perfect movie. This clears that bar for me. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> what are the other Pixar movies on Mount Rushmore besides um, besides Monsters, Inc.? Well, the original plan was, well, the, the three movies that are kind of standard are Monsters, Inc., Up, and Coco. Oh, I good. love all of those movies for very, very different good. reasons, but they're all fantastic. That fourth spot, right now it's Finding Nemo. When I first said something, it was Ratatouille. Going back off of our food movies issue last time, Incredibles made its way in there. Soul, a new one, made its way in there. I have, I love Pixar. Yeah, I, I really love, like Soul. yeah, Soul is absolutely fantastic. I love Pixar and I love animation. Uh, it would be if if I had the good fortune of coming back on as a guest, I knew I couldn't get too far without doing an animated movie because it is legitimately one of my favorite things, one of my favorite. Uh, mediums of of art and storytelling. Uh, I agree. I'm, mm -hmm, I'm of the belief that animation is a medium and not a genre. So anything can be an animated movie, just like anything can be a live action movie. Uh, it doesn't have to be for kids. It doesn't have to be for adults. It can be for whomever it wants to be. Um, and I know that there's kind of a stigma about, oh, this is a kids movie because Disney and Pixar have that more family friendly bend to it. But as we're going to get into this movie deals with some very heavy topics 
and very heavy things that that your average eight-year-old might not quite comprehend um, as it gets in there. And I think that was a huge gamble for Disney to take, and it paid off big time when they did this movie and when they made this happen. So I love animation. I, I, I there have been uh, years where I see almost all or all of the nominated films for animation, but none of the best picture movies, unless they're animated. Uh, that has happened before. I've seen all of the nominated films that were in the best animated feature category and none or one of the films that was in the best overall picture category. Oh, wow. So I'll do. <laughs> I did that with the year that Encanto and Luca came out. Cause I was like, I love all these animated movies, but have I seen nightmare alley? No, no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny you say that because nightmare alley was done by guillermo del toro and he mm -hmm. recently famously said that you know animated films should be treated like you said as a serious a, a cinema and not just as something for children exactly. um, so i think he would agree with you although I, I was listening to him the other day um in an interview when he was talking about pinocchio mm -hmm. he was sort of critiquing some things about Pixar and I, I love Pixar, but I think he was a little bit right mm -hmm. in that, you know, his style of animation is a little bit more subtle in terms of expression, which I think is because of the audience too, like sure. for a lot of his movies. But anyway, just an interesting segue that he also does animated films. So no, no. And I just saw Pinocchio not too long ago too. And I thought that was fantastic as well. It I'm was really good. I'm a sucker yeah. for a good stop motion. And and I yeah. think that that's uh, that's that was it, I didn't feel like I was watching a stop motion movie with that. I felt like yeah. I was watching a, a, a live action scene. And yeah, it was it, just a, exactly like that. But hey, we're not talking about Pinocchio, although there are whales involved in both of these movies. True. So, <laughs> but now I just animation is one of those things where I I think that the more we can do we can do a lot with it, and so I I take a lot of. Uh, admiration towards people who are in that world because it is, they can literally make anything happen and anything come to life. And we got to see that with this movie. Um, I'm fascinated with a little bit of the behind the scenes on this movie. I know you've got your fun facts usually lined up and I don't know if you've got anything. We can segue into that right now if we want to go for it because there's a lot of fun behind the scenes stuff about how this movie was made. Yeah, I think before we do that, I just wanted to echo what you said and mm -hmm. add on that um, I am also a big fan of animation. I mean, you um, you know, our viewers, our listeners can't see what's behind me, but you can. I've got a bunch of like anime uh, art back there. But oh, there um, you are. Yeah, but I am. Um, I've always really been fascinated by animation since I was a child. I even have. Mm -hmm. I still have it to this day. I had a book about animation. Oh, wow. And um, really, you know, at, at one point in my life, thought that that was going to be something I was going to pursue. Um, quickly decided, no, um, I like to draw for fun, but I don't. Mm -hmm. It's just it's very technical. <laughs> it's just not for me. But mm -hmm. I've always really respected it and um, started watching animation at an early age that was a little bit more adult. And so I agree with you. I think that it's really limitless. Like there's you can do so many things with it. It's so artistic. It can be so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's all different genres. Some of it is aimed at children. Like this movie was mm -hmm. aimed at both children and adults, I think. But 
there's also very you know adult films as well that we've covered like um on the show a uh, perfect blue and other movies like that that have mm -hmm. like a, a more adult audience that are animated so just wanted to say that i agree uh but mm -hmm. but you're right we should segue into talking about this movie a little more i think before we keep going i will say that you know, you had your chance to watch this movie. We are going to talk about spoilers. This is not going to be spoiler free. But if you want to pause here because you haven't seen the movie and you want to watch it, um, if you have a Disney Plus subscription, it is on there right now. It's right there. Uh, yeah. Also, this movie's been out for 20 years. 20 you've years. You've had time. You've had yeah, time. You've had, you've had a little bit of time. Just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So I will go ahead and read the summary. And if you're still with us, here is the summary for Finding Nemo. Marlon, played by Albert Brooks, a clownfish, is overly cautious with his son Nemo, who has a foreshortened fin, or a smaller fin. When Nemo swims too close to the surface to prove himself, he is caught by a diver, and horrified Marlon must set out to find him. A blue reef fish named Dory, played by Ellen DeGeneres, who has a really short memory, joins Marlon and complicates the encounters with sharks, jellyfish, and a host of ocean dangers. Meanwhile, Nemo plots his escape from a dentist fish tank. <laughs> that is the most like simplified reading of this plot of this I know. movie ever. I'm like, I think Man. I got it off of um, Wikipedia, probably. I'm like, that's that's it's that's distinct. It, that's it in a nutshell. It's very succinct, but man, in pre in preparing for this, I'm not going to lie to you. I have no idea where this conversation is going to go today. I, as, <laughs> That's okay. It's just a conversation. As, this as movie, I always say. I love this movie so much. Um, my favorite scene in this movie is the movie. Oh, <laughs> it is one. Yeah. Whole, like my favorite scenes are the movie. I don't have like one distinct moment where I can pull us. This is my favorite part because the whole movie just gives me the biggest smile, the biggest warmth oh it's so good but to hear it summed up like that i'm like okay we can go somewhere with this this is good yeah <laughs> I, I like it i think to start with the uh the fun facts i only really wrote down one i i looked i i pull these facts usually from wikipedia not from wikipedia from imdb mm -hmm. which sometimes you have to take some of them with a grain of salt but this one i i'm pretty sure is true um mm -hmm. it says that the movie surpassed the lion king you know that came out in 1994 this came out in 2003 um, it became, at the time, the highest grossing animated film. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, the producer from The Lion King, Don uh, Hahn, called the director of this one, Andrew Stanton, to congratulate him and said, it's about time. Which, yeah, it had been like almost 10 years, basically. Yep. So that's 1994 cool. to 03. That's what mm -hmm. it was. Um, I don't think I realized it was that big. No, it. I remember it being huge when I was a kid. I remember the. I remember the trailer. Uh, to this day, I can I saw it in a movie theater, uh, the trailer, which was just a teaser of Dory and Marlin with the light of the anglerfish. Oh scene. yeah, it was just that, that. and yeah. it went, and then like they screamed when they revealed the big scary fish, and then cut Finding Nemo title. Yeah, and yeah. I remember my dad laughing, and I was like, "Oh, okay, like that's pretty cool." <laughs> and oh, when it came out. I just you just saw it everywhere and and there were news reports about an over uh surplus of clownfish getting flushed down the toilet because oh, yeah. kids were trying to free nemo um it caused yeah. like a huge rise in the purchase of clownfish and blue tangs 
and all those things. And it was probably not the most environmentally conscious thing in the world, which I don't think it was at all. Um, but it's, it's, that's like, that's like the most extreme thing. And I think people eventually came out and said, stop buying clownfish. (laughs) Yeah. I think saltwater fish are, they're very delicate and hard to take care of. Most people probably do not have the knowledge base to take care of them. So they really shouldn't be purchasing them. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Did you have any, uh, quick facts of your own? I want to piggyback off of your fun fact. Um, and we can get into a few more fun facts with as we go through it. But uh, when it surpassed The Lion King as the most or the highest grossing animated movie, um, Disney CEO at the time, Michael Eisner, who most animation fans kind of scoff at because he wasn't, you know, very good at his job. Um, he, uh, he, he thought that this movie was going to fail. He thought that this was going to be Pixar's first big flop. Because uh, who wants to watch a movie about a fish? He famously said. Oh um, wow! <laughs> he didn't. He didn't know what was coming. Um, and the success of this movie not only was this the, the highest-grossing animated movie, it was also Pixar's first Academy Award win for um, best animated feature. The award was only three years old at that point. Wow. It was the third time they gave the award away or the the award out. First year it went to Shrek. Second year, it went to Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away, both of which are fantastic movies in pretty stacked houses. Uh, Pixar only had one eligible movie at the time, which was Monsters, Inc., which lost to Shrek. Um, Still a little slightly bitter because I love Monsters, Inc. that much. Um, But yeah, Toy Story, Bugs Life, and Toy Story 2 came out before they had the award. Um, And I think part of the rise of Pixar helped create that award. But when they won the award... And they be- grow so much money and became so popular. Uh, not only did Michael Eisner have to eat his words, the Disney board of directors fired him as CEO so that they can keep Pixar in the fold. Because wow. they, because Steve Jobs, who was still kind of in the creative head of, or the head of Pixar at the time, and Michael Eisner did not get along for obvious reasons, because Michael Eisner was making statements like that and not thinking that Pixar movies were worth it. Um, mm. He, they also, they, they beat a Disney movie in that um, season uh, for the award. Brother Bear was nominated with Finding Nemo. Brother Bear is not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. I did enjoy it, but you put it up against Finding Nemo and it's not going to do anything that Finding Nemo isn't going to already do. So Yeah, yeah st- I think the, I, it hasn't yeah, had the longevity. That, no, it does yeah. not. The, the, the merchandising, the quotability of the movie it just it stays everywhere it stays in everybody's mind it stayed in everybody's mind and pixar got really good at that and it was i think also one of the first stories they had that was now i'm not gonna say dark but as serious as as finding nemo is it's not it's a comedy but it's a lot there's so much fun in this movie comedy action all sorts of good stuff but the heart of the story is um is trauma getting passed from gender, from father to son. And yeah. they don't, and like the movies up to that point are all fantastic. Like toy, the Toy Story movies, The Bugs Life, Monsters, Inc., they're all great, but they didn't really deal with loss like that. Those movies start with people playing uh, with toys. And this one starts with the murder of a fish, of, his, of Marlon's fish wife, Coral, and all but one of their children. If you think about it, yeah. that's like some Martin Scorsese shit and not Disney stuff. <laughs> when it comes to it, 
Yeah, that's pretty true. I think also, um, and I was thinking about this watching the movie, do you feel like there's an undertone of um, just broaching the topic of disability? Oh, 100%. I was thinking about it when I rewatched it today. I did not have to rewatch this movie, but I did because I love it that much. Um, <laughs> but talking about like, and like there's physical disability in, represented by Nemo's fin and Gil's fin too. Um, and there's there's mental disability with uh, the short-term memory loss um, in, yeah. in Dory. And there's all these different things that are that are there. And it's it's definitely subtle. They're not like beating you over the head with it. But it's definitely, because um, I think the focus of the relationship between Marlon and Nemo is more about what happened to the rest of Marlon's family as opposed to he's got a bad fin and he can't swim that well because of it. That's true. He actually can swim quite well. It's just trauma goggles on uh, when he's looking at his own son because of everything that happened uh, in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, there's so much in life that you really can't prepare for. But I think (laughs) after something like that, there's this false sense of, well, maybe if I prepare for the next time. And I think that's what his father's going through. Oh, 100%. It's the the performance is so good. And we're going to get into that. There's kind of three, the, the things that make this movie so good, it's kind of, it's the animation, it's the mm-hmm. visuals, it's the writing, and it's the casting, it's the voices. Um, all of them come together. That's the elements of any good animated feature, any good movie, to be honest, the visuals, the writing, yeah. and, the, and the performances. But man, there's not an ounce of fat in this whole movie when it comes to any of those things. Totally um, agree. I'm, I'm so, I, I, I get so overwhelmed thinking about it because it's just so good. And yeah. It was going to be a lot different. This goes into oh, another really? fact I found. I, I was only able to find one um, casting difference from start to the finished product. Because this movie, they started working on it in 97. So it wow. took them six years from pre-production to release. And Marlon was not originally Albert Brooks. He was originally voiced, and they voiced a lot of his dialogue hmm. already by William H. Macy. Oh, he's one of my favorite actors. I really like him. But <laughs> he's great. Yeah, a different vibe for sure. He's a very different vibe. And the vibe that he was giving was a little too dramatic for this movie. Uh, even though the, even though Marlon can be considered a dramatic figure, there's still some lightness to it. They're kind of they're, they they let you know, yes, I'm doing the things I do in this movie because I have trauma, but it's also kind of it, it's funny until it's not and i think albert brooks walked that line a little bit uh, really well in that case I, I can't speak for william h macy i've never heard his performance but the director states that when they recast the movie it saved it it was albert wow. brooks saved the movie that was a direct quote from andrew stanton yeah william h macy is a great actor but he's a very dramatic actor so i mm-hmm. i do agree that like there has to be a little bit of brevity in this movie because it is dealing with such heavy topics. So the characters like Dory and, and mm-hmm. Marlon, it's like them having some humor and some lightness is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And when you have a character like Dory and a performance like Ellen DeGeneres gives, um, if you come at it from a straight dramatic point, um, it's not going to work um, with what she brings to the table. It's going to be a complete, right mismatch so i'm glad that that i i feel bad for for macy but 
if that was the right call, then that was the right call. No, I'd agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, what do you want to talk about next? Is there are there um, more castings that you want to? That's on? the only one I've, I ever I, I got. Like everyone else was pretty set. This yeah. cast though, it's wild. Who's in this? It movie. is interesting for sure. Um, it is so it is wild to me because it's a nice mix. Uh, they do a really nice job in in Pixar and Disney, but mostly Pixar, of combining um, very famous actors with some maybe less famous but more character actors and also they give the a lot of the animators that work for disney and pixar a shot at doing some of the vocals like bob peterson who directed up um or maybe not directed up but he definitely wrote up um is the voice of mr ray the teacher stingray thing and Joe Rapp, oh. who's like a big animator there, was the voice of the shrimp that likes to clean things. Jacques, I think his <laughs> name is. But then you've got like, obviously Albert Brooks, Ellen DeGeneres, those are those are the, the most famous names that can they carry the whole movie. But then you've got in the tank, just alone, uh, Willem Dafoe, Allison Janney, and Brad Garrett. Oh, wow. <laughs> Willem Dafoe plays Gil, that's Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah, his voice the, is very distinct. I mean, it's like, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's definitely Willem Dafoe. Fresh off the Green Goblin and one of the scarier <laughs> performances I've ever seen in the Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man movie. Uh, here he gives an incredibly uh, impassioned kind of more mentor that gets kind of a little in over his head on it. Mm -hmm. um, just like so really wants to escape, but doesn't want to put Nemo in harm's way and kind of loses sight of that. And it's, oh, it's so good. And, and yeah. Allison Janney, Oscar winner Allison Janney plays a starfish. And Emmy winner Brad Garrett is is the blowfish. <laughs> it's just amazing. And and not even that. Um, here's some other here's some other ones that people might not remember. The Pelican Nigel is played by Jeffrey Rush. Two-time Oscar winner who just who had already that won the so best shocking. actor. <laughs> he already won a, a an Oscar for best actor for the movie Shine, um, and mm -hmm. he will win one for King's Speech after this. But he plays yeah. a pelican in the movie. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, and some of my favorite castings that I, that I that I came to know about this movie, um, the big it comes from. Probably one of the funnier scenes right up at the start, which is uh, the shark fishaholics anonymous is what I'm going to call it scene. Um, because. Oh, that was such a funny through line in the movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. And, oh, it's so funny. Now, I mean, as a kid, you're like, oh, it's funny that sharks don't want to eat fish. But when you're an adult, it's like, this is AA. And it's kind of funny how they're using this in this way. <laughs> to, right. to do this with the with the sharks. Um, first of all, one of the I believe the shark there there are three sharks. There's the great white. There's the hammerhead, and there's the the one that has the hook in his nose, and the one with the hook in his nose is Eric Bana. What which I, I didn't right. realize that. Yeah, I didn't either until I until I rewatched it and, and saw the the cast list. Um, and the one who plays Bruce, which I'm, I'll sidebar about what they did. They named 
that shark Bruce after the name of the shark from Jaws. Because they would always call that one Bruce. Oh, yeah, you're right. And that's, Bruce. That's pretty cool. And Bruce, <laughs> that was a nice little fun thing. But Bruce himself was voiced by, um, I don't know how many people would know who this person is, but his name is Barry Humphreys, an Australian actor and comedian who was best known for the, playing the character Dame Edna. I don't know if you're at all familiar with Dame Edna. I'm not. Dame Edna was this character that he created where it's, it's kind of a, I would say it's a drag performance. Um, as he would just go out there and put on a, put on just crazy makeup and just kind of do this comedy routine as Dame Edna. He's done it on Broadway. He's done it, um, I guess, in Australian comedy in the Australian theater as well. It's, She's a, she's just, it's basically, I, I would call her like a take on like a Joan Rivers or a Phyllis Diller type, but done in like this fun drag way. And so it was so weird yeah, for me. That's to fascinating. Hear. I know. Everybody go look up some Dame Edna stuff when you're done listening to this podcast, because it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and he uses kind of a high-pitched voice, uh, obviously, to get the effect of playing a female. And so when I heard him going, hello, I was like, oh, that's not... That that person is the same person as Dame Edna, the shark. Okay, <laughs> good times. But no, this the the performances given across the board are just so good with this cast. And some of the more fun ones, like this, is I think one of the films that kind of cemented uh, John Ratzenberger, who most folks before this would know as Cliff from Cheers, um, as the good luck charm of Pixar in that he's appeared in almost every single Pixar movie that has ever been made. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Oh yeah. He, and, and sometimes it's just bit parts. Sometimes he's got a supporting cast, but he's done it every single time. The first four Pixar movies, he was ham in the two toy story movies. He was oh, PT. Okay. Flea. I do recognize his yep. voice then. PT flea in, in bugs life and the abominable <laughs> snowman and monsters Inc. And now he's just playing a school of fish that really like charades. So, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that that voice definitely sounded familiar. It shows up all the time, and it's fantastic. Um, and all, not only that, probably one of the more memorable performances in the movie is not made by someone who is a, who's primarily an actor. Crush is voiced by the director of the film itself, Andrew Stanton. I don't know how many people know that coming out of it. They might think it's a famous person or... or oh someone who's more known as an actor or a voice actor. Yeah. But no, the director stepped in, did the vocals, um, and they were so good. I think he probably did them as what happens a lot of time that I've learned is that people will come in and do scratch vocals, like just to lay it down so yeah. the animators have something to go off of until they cast it for someone else. Sometimes the scratch vocals are so good that they just say, you're the voice now, and we're going to re-record it for realsies. And I guess that's what happened with Andrew Stanton. He laid down this surfer dude um, to make Crush. And it it's so popular. There's that ride at Disney that I keep seeing at TikTok, on TikTok all the time about Turtle Talk with Crush, where it's a live performer doing that. Oh, yeah. And like it's it's definitely one of the highlights of the movie is, is his performance. And he's not even like known for being a voice actor. I don't know if he's done anything outside of playing Crush, to be completely honest. So it's crazy to me how sometimes this stuff works out. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, what do you want to talk about next? Um, do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes? I know you said the whole movie is your favorite, but are there well, some standout scenes? Or? There are definitely some standout scenes, and it all kind of revolves around kind of the second part of what I wanted to talk about, oh, which sure. was which was the, um, the 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 writing of this movie. Okay. Like I said, there's not an ounce of fat on this movie from a writing standpoint. Um, everything that is introduced, everything makes perfect sense as to where it is and what it's doing. Um, but this movie is probably one of the more endlessly and effortlessly quotable movies that exists. And I'm not just talking animation. I am talking full on everything, full on mm -hmm. any, any film that has ever come out. You can say a quote and people will immediately know that it's finding you. Uh, yeah. And that yeah, just, and it's, that. it's every scene. Every scene, there's something that to 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 come out with. Um, pretty much, almost every almost every scene, I would say. Um, obviously, the heavy hitters are just keep swimming, fish our friends, not food. Um, <laughs> which that's a that's always a, a fun little classic. Yeah. Uh, the one I'm seeing on TikTok a lot is the "You so totally rock squirt." That <laughs> <laughs> one coming in there, the "No eating here tonight" dance. Oh, I could keep going. Um, the one that I always forget that I say is uh, after they get lured by the anglerfish and they see what it is, and Martin Marlon just goes, "Good feelings gone," and then runs away. <laughs> um, also, oh, I can't even—he touched the butt. <laughs> I can't. I there's there are so many, and I can't even just oh the bubbles. Any for for the longest time, unironically, as an adult, anytime the bubbles would happen, especially if I'm around kids. I would have to go bubbles numb by bubbles off of that performance. Um, <laughs> that that's Stephen Root, by the way, who most folks know from a lot of animation, but also as a um, I can't remember the character's name from Office Space, but the one who really liked the med the red stapler. Um, oh, Milton. Milton, yes. Um, and so, yeah, more more amazing performances. Um, this movie's kind of followed me through the writing um, when it came to it. Um, because the things that they say in this movie are, are phrases that I've either been called or um, as a nickname or nicknames that I've given my kids as a result. I'll tell three very quick stories. My last name is Italian and therefore very hard to pronounce by people who don't know. So when I first got to college in North Carolina, people did not quite know how to pronounce my name. Yeah. And so it turned into them saying the first letter of my name, which is D and then coughing as a way to say, hey, it's Christopher. <laughs> and once that happened, it morphed into Daruhaha, which is nowhere close to what my name is. But one of my best friends um, from college started, call started anytime I would show up, would be like, hey, Daruhaha. Oh, wait a minute, shark bait Daruhaha. And he would use the, that little thing from the shark bait hoo-ha-ha from Finding Nemo <laughs> to call me. And so he just called me shark bait for pretty much the duration of college and after that. That's I'll funny. always be shark bait to him. And like I said, I use it for my sons. Uh, one of my boys has a very squishy face when he first uh, appeared to the world. And oh. um, so that, and so we immediately just started going, I will call you squishy and you will be mine and you will be my squishy. So his nickname oh. has been squishy for the longest time. And his that's brother. Cute. Yep. Yeah. That's a good one. His brother has a very, um, let's just say, uh, Sometimes negative disposition 
he tends to cry, he tends to be a little bit more on the pouty side. And uh, as soon as that happened, my wife immediately would look at him and go, hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills, exactly like is in the movie. Um, and so oh, his cool. nickname is Mr. Grumpy Gills. So we have Squishy and Mr. Grumpy Gills and their, so dad, and their dad, Shark Bait, <laughs> and, their and their mom, who also has short-term memory loss, and therefore we just call Dory. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's the whole family. The whole family is funny. It's, and, and I don't think that it would mean that much if coming from maybe another movie or if the lines weren't as good as they are in this movie. Um, and you can just pull it out of nowhere. I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversation. And this just might be me as a person, but I've pulled all like so many just out of references, out of thin air, just based on whatever we're talking about. You can basically do that for the whole movie. I haven't even talked about my favorite running gag yet, which is the seagulls. Um, and oh, just yeah. my, 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 my. <laughs> so good. Thing. They're so good. And it's exactly what seagulls are because I, I grew up on a coastal town in, in, in New York. Oh, okay. I was about to ask you that, Chris. I'm like, you know, you say you're here in Dallas. You definitely yep. don't sound like a Texan. So, no, nope. that's <laughs> yeah. also the voice coaching came into that a little bit. But no, I'm a native New Yorker and I grew up yeah. on the beach. And seagulls are rats with wings and they are, will dive bomb anything <laughs> that remotely looks like food, even if it's in your hand. Uh, so, just the fact that they were able to get all of that was beautiful, was brilliant with the writing. Um, and the writing is not just with the jokes and the quotes, uh, cause there's plenty of them, but the writing also sells the point of this story. We haven't really talked story that much, but the story of this movie um, of really, and the conflict of this movie uh, of Marlon figuring out that he's basically smothering his son for nothing the son did. It's all, it's all things that happened pre the son's birth, pre Nemo's birth. But Nemo is the unfortunate beneficiary, for lack of a better term, of this very intense treatment and very worrisome yeah. treatment by Marlon. Because as he says, he doesn't want to let anything happen to him. Sure. Um, I think in his perhaps, yeah, 100%. If you get your dream house with your dream wife and your dream kids and it's all crushed by a stray barracuda, yeah. um, going to be some and it's it's a very real thing you can absolutely relate to it um and you can absolutely relate to and there's definitely part of it where he is traveling this whole ocean and becomes kind of a folk hero in the ocean <clears throat> because of everything that he's he's gone through uh to get to nemo that even though he he really shelters his son he would do absolutely anything for him and it's shown in this movie uh dealing with sharks and almost getting blown up in a minefield and yeah. biting an anglerfish and dealing with the jellyfish in and the in that scene um and almost getting eaten by a whale <laughs> and then everything with the fit with the seagulls and the pelican and he goes through all of this stuff just to make sure that his son's okay because he doesn't want to lose that last piece of his family and i think by realizing what he can lose by being so sheltering, he that's the kind of the theme yeah. of the movie. Adventures are gonna happen and it's not um, going to jeopardize anything that you have with your son or with any yeah. member of your family. It's the, the line that always gets me and I didn't think about this until I became a parent, um, is when they're in the whale 
and uh, he says exasperatedly that he promised not to let anything happen to, to Nemo. And Dory mm -hmm. just kind of looks at him funny and goes, well, that's not really good. Uh, and the line that I love is, if you if you never let anything happen to him, then nothing is going to happen to him. Not so yeah. much for little Harpo, which another great writing gag that she just can't get his name right. And it's usually yeah. a Marx, and it's usually a Marx brother that he that she'll call him. Which I think oh, I didn't even notice that. Chico, Groucho, Harpo—they all come up <laughs> somewhere wow. in there. Not, I didn't even notice that. Yep. He, she throws a Fabio in there. She throws Elmo in there. It's I'm pretty sure half of that was made up by Ellen DeGeneres, who I know had a lot of improvisational leeway in her performance. I would also say, too, like you mentioned, you know, she says if you then nothing will ever happen to him. But there's also like a a part of me that thinks, you know, that's true. And and also she he can't actually prevent bad things from happening to him. Mm -hmm. And like we can't prevent bad things from happening to us. So it's like, you know, living in this limbo of waiting for something bad to happen. It's so unhealthy because mm -hmm. there's really nothing you can do anyway. So it's like you might as well enjoy your life. Absolutely. Just everything from when Nemo wakes up his dad by screaming, first day of school, first day of school, to when Nemo gets taken exemplifies that point that you just made incredibly well. Um, I mean, he's just a nervous wreck the entire time. Uh, and he he blows up like every little touch, every little motion gets turned into like the fish equivalent of a car accident every single time. And I... I just, I love seeing this journey throughout the movie. Um, even though it's called Finding Nemo, you would think that means Nemo's the main character. No, Marlin is the main character of this movie. And it's his journey that we're watching, that we're going through. Um, Very true. I think, yeah. I think I did have the impression it was about Nemo. And you're right. It's really more about his father. And don't get me wrong. Nemo is still a pivotal point in the movie. Uh, he's definitely, I would say, the deuteragonist of this movie if Marlon is the protagonist, because we are following his journey of getting captured and being with the tank gang in the dentist's office. Um, and, but it's for him, it's, I guess, getting some, get, figuring out, okay, this is what support looks like. I may not be able to get it from my dad, but I'm getting it from these people that are basically adopted me. Um, and now when I do meet my dad and see, get my, get to my dad again, I can show him that I am capable and unbeknownst to Nemo, he's going to be more receptive to it based on everything he's gone through. So these two stories coming together and with that great climax of Dory getting swallowed up in the fishing net and Nemo's like, I know how to solve this problem. And Marlon's like, I believe you go solve this problem, get everybody to swim down and just keep swimming. He's able to, he's able to trust his son trust Dory's lessons that he learned along the way and it works. And he, he actually doesn't do very much in the climax. He just tells everybody to listen to his son. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Shifting I, that, that ownership over to his son for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right. This, the way that the story's laid out, we're, we're bouncing around here. I'm, oh, that's I, fine. I tend not to think very linearly when it comes to this movie. Cause again, it all kind of comes together for me. Um, and I think, Probably the best example of that um, is in, again, the writing. And it's a monologue that happens kind of toward the end of the movie. Um, 
And I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, it is a monologue by Dory after Aww. Marlon thinks that Nemo has died because he's playing, he's playing dead in the dentist's office. Uh, and Dory just unloads everything that she's feeling. Because again, she's another great, she's a great character in this movie. I did think in that moment when he gave up that he was being a little bit selfish. Like everything Dory did for him and with him, it was like, oh my gosh, you're just going to abandon her? No. Exactly. But it didn't come off as don't leave me uh, it, to me or like like the clingy kind of don't need me. It really it really tugged on my heartstrings. I'm, I'm, oh, a, yeah. big movie, I'm a big movie crier <laughs> for, I go way back with this. And every time I listen to this monologue, and she gets to, I look at you and I'm home. I, and it's not even like a romantic thing. It's just. No, they're just. You are, yeah, you are someone who brings out the best in me. And I know that if you leave, I'm going to go back to just the way I was. And I can't go back to that because of everything that we've been through together. Yeah. And, and it's a beautiful moment of her sticking up for herself. And the tragedy of the moment is that Marlon is just too depressed to get there, to to hear it. Mm -hmm. he, he, there's definitely a universe where he'd want to help. And he realizes that he can't, like, he has to treat her like an actual friend and not like a burden after the jellyfish thing when he yeah. ignores her advice and she almost gets killed because of it. And so, but just like, you know that his ultimate goal is his son no matter what like mm -hmm. that's that's the one family he's got in the world yeah and i was gonna say i think she highlights kind of a problem for him he, he's i mean obviously a, a father loves his son and that there's nothing wrong with that but i do think that he made his world a little too small like his son can't be all the things for him that he needs you know like dory is someone that he needs in his life. He needs other people in his life, not just his son, because then his son is carrying the burden of all his feelings in a way. And so, yeah, it's, it's a lot healthier for him to have a friend, but I thought that scene was so dark too, because like, is it just me or was he like, okay, I'm leaving now to like die. Like he was going to go into that area where the fish were being fished and he was okay with that. I was like, wow, that's dark. <laughs> that is, that is a very dark interpretation. I okay. never got Maybe I misunderstood. I was like, he's going that direction and all the fish are being snatched up. I'm like, is he committing suicide? I was like very confused. Wow. <laughs> See, I never put two and two together, but he knew that that was a fishing ground. If he did. Okay, hopefully not. Yeah. Maybe I misinterpreted. <laughs> I no, hope I that, did. That's a really interesting interpretation. And you mentioned it being very dark. Also, it's lit so darkly. Like yeah. most of this movie is in a lot of color and a lot of light, even the ocean. But this is kind of a darkly dark area of the ocean. And this, for lack of That's a better true. term, this breakup happens. And yeah, like not just a breakup, but like they are shattered, emotionally shattered, the two of them, because his son's dead. He needs to leave because he can't go on. Uh, with this what just he did everything for nothing and they're both feeling that that way that's that's another thing yeah. that i love about this they're both feeling like they did everything for nothing but it's coming out in two different ways very true it's like i did everything for nothing to save my son it's for nothing now I, what do i do 
And it's, I did everything to help you and became friends and I became better by helping you. Now, please help me. Yeah. And Very it's true. beautiful. Another fun fact, Ella DeGeneres, that's, they used the first take on that one uh, for that scene. And really? she, wow. she, yeah, thought she, yeah. she thought she messed up because she started crying through the take. <laughs> oh, it must yeah, have touched some some memory or something. It That's must have. Like when that that happened, um, I think people love Dory because of how much um, the performance of Ellen DeGeneres gets in there. Like you can tell that she's kind of improving a whole bunch of stuff too, um, which just makes me happy. And she's got this lovely blend of the comedy. And then I think because she's such a comic figure and she's so positive when she does turn and have that heartbreaking moment, it hits you so much harder. I think that's why people relate to her so much. Um, Cause I love the idea of like the short term person who would gathering around a whole bunch of turtles to tell the story. They're like, Oh, you got to tell the story. It's going to be good. I can feel it. It's like, you live <laughs> this story, but you don't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the best. It's, absolutely the best and um although there are no oscars for voice performances um which i think needs to be remedied yesterday uh the annie award, the annie awards which focus on all animation do have a voice performance category and um misty generous did take home the annie award for outstanding vocal performance in a film oh good yeah it's almost like I don't know. I almost was like, it, it almost doesn't sound like her. Like it, it's definitely like, I, I think Ellen, the way we've seen her on screen the most in, you know, her show yeah, and like her show. original um, uh, sitcom show too. It's like, yeah. she's kind of playing herself, but this is truly like a performance and it's really good. It's an amazing performance. And it's, there's so many things that are subtle about it. Cause you don't expect it. Cause she is over the top and she's supposed to be because this character needs to be a little bit wacky to balance out Marlon's seriousness and also bring out the the fun-loving clownfish, for lack of a better term, in him. Um, so there is that sense of it. Um, yeah. But there's the when I watched the movie today to prepare, I remember uh, just being really struck by one moment. This The best kind of movies for me are the ones that you see something new every time you watch it even if you can recite it by heart, like I can almost do with this movie. Yeah. Um, the scene where they're interacting with the school of fish, the charade fish, mm -hmm. and they're being unhelpful because Marlon is being rude to them. Um, and he starts going away and, um, and Dory's trying to bring him back. And Marlon says something I'm going to paraphrase here is like, there's this whole ocean of, of people and nobody's, nobody's helping me. No, I, I'm doing this by myself. Nobody's here to help me. And then uh, Dory just goes, well, I'm helping you. And yeah. she doesn't say, the best part is she doesn't say it with malice. Yeah, she that's says true. She says it with a smile on her face. It's like, well, I'm helping you. Like she, she doesn't see like, oh, it's not, she doesn't see it as a put down on her. She says, oh, did you forget something? I do this all the time. I forget. You might've forgotten yeah. that I'm helping you. So I'm here to remind you. Uh, <laughs> that's true. She has a good attitude. It, I love the attitude and I love just what they're able to do with it of like immediately before this scene or before that moment, she's jammering on about Pete Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney, and will not shut up about it because she remembered something. And it's hilarious when she's just going into that. Mm -hmm. 
and man, um, I just, I don't know. I could say so much about the, the, the story and everything. Like these performances are just all so good. I haven't even talked too much about the tank gang because those people, oh, yeah. are hilarious. I love everything that happens in the tank. Um, the whole, and all these like little references and jokes of like Mount Wanahakalugi or, or um, don't clean Jacques, stop cleaning. I am ashamed. And like all these other various things. Um, it's just, it's, they're not on screen for that long, but they're so memorable in what yeah. they're doing. And, and basically they've been there long enough that they can be dentists if they weren't fish. <laughs> I like that. I, I like the, the, the thing with the, uh, what, what was she? The, uh, his niece. Yes. Right? Darla. Yeah. Darla. Oh gosh. We all know a kid that's too rough on animals and, oh yeah. you know, we pray for those animals. Like I, that's mm -hmm. very relatable. <laughs> yeah. I'm we're teaching our kids to be gentle with our cats. Uh, they're oh. just now getting it. So, um, at that's good. Months. That's good that you're doing that. Cause yeah. I always feel, you know, I, I think back when I was a kid and I mean, you just don't know, you need somebody yeah. to tell you, you know, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and Darla kind of is a fun little little moment here because it's very easy to make Darla the villain of this movie, um, which I don't think there is a human villain in this movie. Nobody gets vanquished. Nobody gets any sort of comeuppance, really, um, that would be considered a villain. Uh, the, the closest things to the villain of this movie are Darla who doesn't know any better because she's a child and the dentist who takes Nemo to begin with, but he just thought he was saving a fish from being stranded out in the ocean. He, yeah. he thought he was being humanitarian about it and not, but everyone else saw him as a monster who stole, who stole Nemo. Yeah. But that's he, true. It, he doesn't really have a bad motive. It's, I think that yeah. the struggle is more internal. Oh, 100%. The struggle is with Marlon trying, having to, get him to get his son back and feeling like how can he let this happen and then coming to realize oh like we just talked about i have to let my son be a kid and i have to let him ha fight his own battles lose every once in a while and for nemo it's i can do these things even though i have a um a lame fin for lack of a better term yeah and an overprotective parent i can very yep. much relate. my parents were very overprotective <laughs> but mm -hmm. you know they loved me they did the best that they could of course, of course. And that's all that, that it is. Um, and you see that with Nemo, the last thing he said to his dad before he gets captured is, I hate you. And it kills him that he said that. Once he figures, yeah. once he realizes that he's away from his dad um, and all the tank fish try to help him out, um, he doesn't think that his son or that his dad will ever want to see him again because of what he said. And it's a beautiful thing. Like, I, how many... At times as kids ourselves or kids that talk to us say something really mean. Yeah, that they regret. That they completely regret, but they, they don't understand that we know that they're not saying it in their true voice. That that's not really how they feel. They're just doing it out of anger or out of worry or out of something yeah. else. Although I would so, argue that parents, they know that like with their brain, but with your heart, I mean, it's it's still painful for your kids still to say painful. like that, I'm sure. Still absolutely painful to hear and to and to go with when it comes to that. Um, yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, but I just, I think that it's that the internal struggle and the best moment that exemplifies that internal struggle is with one phrase that's repeated twice in the movie uh, to two different people. 
which is mm-hmm. you think you can do these things, but you just can't, Nemo. He says it the first time to Nemo and the second time to Dory, even though he calls her Nemo, because he realizes yeah. just how overprotective he's being with this whole whale business. Because he doesn't, that's another thing, because of what happened to his family, he doesn't trust anybody else. He barely trusts yeah. Dory to get him to where he needs to be uh, because of the short term memory thing. And he can't, he, all he can think about is this whale's going to eat me, not that this whale is going to potentially save my life and bring me to Sydney. Mm-hmm which is what winds up happening. So again, Dory is so needed. She's such a good character because she bounces out the, and and I love the moment too, when the water is draining out of the whale's mouth, it's like, it's getting half empty. And Dory just goes, I think it's more half full. And you're like, that's them. That's them right there. That's the characters. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And and so true. It's like, it is about perspective too. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what else is, I think, pretty cool about this? I want to go back to what you were talking about with with disability awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, Because something that I kind of noticed with this, the only person who seems to be making a big deal out of the disability is Marlon. Um, Yes, with with his son and with Dory. And with Dory. She doesn't remember things very well. He has to constantly explain. He has a lame fin. And I think that's what... And that means he doesn't swim very good. And that means... Um, so like that gives such a bad taste on Nemo's mouth. And the cool yeah. thing is that I think that I think is very cool. And, and part of, I think what you were talking about with the disability feature, there are two kind of sets of moments that mm-hmm. normalize having a disability for Nemo. One, it's meeting Gil and mm-hmm. he repeats his father's bad words or his father's words of, I'm not a good swimmer because I have this fin. And Gil just goes, never stop me, showing off his fin. Um, mm. He's like, oh, there's a guy who's surviving that's like me. Maybe I yeah. can do that too. And the other moment that I never noticed before, because I thought it was just a funny little thing, is when he's meeting the kids at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. And his dad is like, you have, you have a lame fin. You're not that good of a swimmer because he wants to go play with the, with, the, with the squid baby, the seahorse baby, and the fish baby. Um, and they just go, they just immediately are like, let me tell you something about myself that I consider a disability so that you know that you're not alone in this. Yeah. And I didn't think about that. It's, it's funny because it's the little squid being like this tentacle is shorter than all my other tentacles or the seahorse that's H2O intolerant, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's cute. Or, or just the the other go, one goes, I'm Ted, I'm obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, just, know, you know that that kid's been told that before. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's it's cool to see like these kids don't care. They just yeah, want to have a friend. they're not being cruel or bullying him. And, and I think it's, I think for his dad, it's almost like he feels so helpless and powerless Mm-hmm. That that's why it's almost like he sees disabilities more than the other characters in the movie. Absolutely. I think because like, again, he feel, there's probably some part of him that feels like it's his fault that this happened to his family, that the Barracuda basically ate everybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that because of that feeling, he has to just be, this as overprotective as we've said that he's been. Yeah. And 
there's a lot going there's so much going to it and and it, it goes to show and i love that they do this no one actually bullies nemo throughout this movie that's true very easy to do a kid's movie and feature other kids and have a mean kid but no no one actually bullies nemo they that's all true. They all are immediately take to him. The teacher loves him. The, the other kids in the class love him. They, the only conflict comes from the dad, and it's yeah. and then and when the dad finally says, "I trust you to save my friend and all of these other fish," that's a really beautiful moment. Uh, the swim down, and I remember there's so many great moments uh, of like feeling real good throughout this movie, and that's probably the the biggest like fist pump in the air moment when they free the fish. Absolutely. It's so good. I I, I don't know how to segue into this next bit, but I have to mm -hmm. talk about the visuals of this movie and the animation. Oh, absolutely. Style. No, we have to, I'm not, you mentioned that this could be a career path for you. Um, and I think that that's incredible or it could have been in at one point in your life. I can't draw worth a shit. <laughs> Let me just say yeah, that. My drawings aren't great, but I, I, I liked, I found it like magical and interesting mm -hmm. and all that. But when I saw how much work was involved, I mean, man, I'm very impressed with what people can do, but I realized it was not for me. <laughs> oh, sure. Early on. That makes perfect sense. I definitely, as a kid, skewed more to the story and to the, the voice acting. I've always loved voice acting. Um, nice. It's been a passion of mine. One of my favorite things to do is to, like I did at the start of this this episode, is tell people really fun facts about shows that they like that are animated and who voiced what mm. and other things they've done. Because it's always so fascinating to me how in, how much range voice actors have, but then you don't think Absolutely. about how much range animators have too. Um, and the and this doing this, it it might seem incredibly basic now compared to what we have 20 years later but at the time doing an entire movie in the ocean was seen as a massive undertaking and a massive risk to to make this happen really because huh. it was think of that and doing a movie not just in an ocean but computer animated in an ocean completely done via cgi computer stylings like obviously the little mermaid exists and other movies have, have have had water scenes, but to be able to create a realistic portrayal of the ocean was like huge. No wonder it took six years for them to, to make this movie because it was insane how much they had to do. And if you look at this movie compared to like toy story where everything yes, kind of, I, I thought that too. Mm -hmm. you're you're speaking or you're reading my mind go ahead okay no go for it i want you to talk about that i talk enough about this so no no you're good i i i agree i i notice that there's a big difference between this movie and movies like toy story like there's mm -hmm. a lot it's a lot more expressive and i had even read mm -hmm. that the water looks so realistic they actually had to like tone it down yeah because it was like jarring to see like the animation of the movie compared to how good the water looked mm-hmm they're still like it is incredible just how they're able to infuse the ocean elements and all the colors and all of the movement in there um in different moments again like we talked about darkening the atmosphere for that very emotional breakup scene but then the rest of the most of the movie being very light and colorful um <clears throat> and just all of that goes into it it's amazing and toy story came out in 1995 
So eight years between that between that release and this release, and we get this movie and how good this movie looks. Um, and not to say Toy Story looks bad, it just it definitely looks crude though compared to uh, what they do in Finding Nemo. And I think a lot of that is because Pixar still with computer generated animation, human figures are are like the toughest apparently to get. Um, and to figure out so yeah it it does seem that way you know like i remember like older video games and stuff or even like you know the polar express there's like this eerie creepiness and woodenness sometimes Mm -hmm. in their faces you can tell it's hard to to do sure and like the few human characters there are in this show they look okay but again they're not on screen for very long we don't have to deal with them very much intentional yeah yeah I would imagine so because when you get something like Toy Story where Sid and Andy and Andy's mom are big parts of the movie and you just see Sid basically looking like a puppet, like in the way yeah. he's animated. And then you get Finding Nemo where everything just looks so smooth and the motions are not choppy at all. And they're animating like thousands of things at once, like especially in scenes like with the, with the charade fish. Or a scene that we haven't talked about yet, but I love so much the scene in the EAC, the East Australian Current, all those mm-hmm. little individual bubbles going by the turtles and them. And then when they do their exit and they go through that swirly world, that swirly like vortex to get out, and it looks like a water slide. <laughs> it's and just how they're able to give that movement and give all of that is crazy. Just some of the things that you that they do. It's it was mind blowing at the time. In our current 2023 movie going eyes, it doesn't feel like that big of a deal. But at the time, this was groundbreaking. People never saw anything like that. Yeah. Well, I think it holds up really well, like you said, though. Oh, 100 percent Like the animation absolutely holds up. Even the human animation, it's not perfect, but it's it's light years better than no pun intended, light years better than what they did in Toy Story. Um <laughs> for what they for what they could do. Um the one scene that I remember watching uh, this last rewatch that really struck me in the visuals also, in addition to the current scene, was when uh, at, after the Shark AA meeting and they accidentally set off a whole bunch of mines, to do explosions underwater like that, like all the frenzy of that scene and all the, the timed animation, like setting off explosives in a live action movie is a very risky move because you really sometimes only get one shot to do it. And, but I can't even imagine what it's like to animate all of that too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And then they throw story in there because this big explosion happens. It turns into like a little bubble that appears under a Pelican and another Pelican thinks he farted and then runs away. And it's hilarious. It's, it's one of those things. It's like the, it's, it's, there's mood whiplash in this movie, but it's not jarring. It's like, it's sad yeah. and then it's happy, but it's all like, and it's, it's intense and then it's funny and it's all, it all fits together perfectly. I, I, I just can't even say anymore. I, I can keep going if we need to, but man, this is, this is one of those movies where you can just really see how much effort went into it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. Oh man, and and the good thing, the interesting thing too, like this movie had a, had a couple of effects: the environmental yeah. effect we talked about, the business effect we talked about. That's but true. another business effect was 
because this movie was so popular, other studios were like, well, we got to make our own fish movie. That's true. I, I didn't and even think about that. <laughs> there are so like between like the mid 2000s, a whole bunch of fish movies came out. Shark Tale being one of them oh, um, yeah. and a whole bunch of others that don't come to mind with the titles of them. And there's probably a reason for that. But yeah, they, like Shark Tale is fine. It's not Finding Nemo, but it's fine. I don't think um, I've ever even seen that. No, I mean, I think Martin Scorsese plays a gangster shark whose son is what? Jack Black. I don't know. It's a thing. Um, I think that's what happens. I, I Don't quote me on that, people. I don't actually remember this movie from when I saw it like over tw- almost 20 years ago. But it goes to show like people saw this, people saw the popularity of this movie as, oh, it must mean people like fish movies. Let's make a fish movie. It's no, people like this fish movie because of the yeah, story that like happens. Good stories. <laughs> and I, I firmly believe that this is the movie that basically created the Pixar effect. That even though Toy Story and Bugs Life and Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., all those movies are fantastic. I love all of those movies. This is the one that really made people stand up and take notice about what Pixar is capable of. Yeah. And they went on an amazing run after that that hasn't really had too many missteps maybe a couple Agreed. but Agreed. not not too many not um, too many in their what 26 movies that they've made gosh uh, is there really that many that's there amazing. is there is that many something like that you'd think that there's more uh but there are only 26 at the moment but there there's quite a few and that this this movie kind of kicked that all off because again it, it was Critically acclaimed, it was audience acclaimed, it won a whole mess of awards. It was nominated for a lot more awards than than most animated movies got at the time. Wow. Until the animated um until the animated feature Oscar was presented. Mm-hmm. Really, if you think about it, the only times the only times animated movies were nominated for anything was because of the music. Oh, Either, that's a good point either score or original song. Most of Disney's Oscar hmm. or Oscars come from the song um, and come from the score. Like Lion King won best score and best song, just as an example, and others have done that. Beauty and the Beast was the first animated movie ever to be nominated for best picture in 91. Wow. People thought that it should happen to Finding Nemo. Didn't happen, but they got original screenplay nominations, mm-hmm. which very rare for an animated movie to have that and i believe yeah. visual effects and uh nominations completely deserved first of all for, yeah. for all of that but yes um wow that's interesting i didn't mm-hmm. i don't think i even realized how new that award for animated features was it's only been 20 years old if you can think about it if you can wow co- comprehend that because at the time i mean animated movies were a thing and the animated short Oscar has been around since like the Oscars were created because animated mm, shorts okay. have been a part of movies for for this whole time. Right. So that's, that's always been there, but the feature, like the first feature film animated movie was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in 1939. And it took us until 2001 to get an Oscar to recognize these movies. Because again, yeah. Disney kind of had the lock on it and with other studios like DreamWorks coming out in the nineties and Sony getting into the game on those things, it created a little bit more competition. And of course the Jap, the anime uh, element too, Mm -hmm. um, 
like Spirited Away and Akira and Howl's Moving Castle and all those movies coming in. um, It's like that they created a a space where like this has to happen. Yeah, Um, I agree. And they asked the the Academy Award Committee kind of moved slow on it. I'm still waiting for my my voice acting uh, Oscar, like I said, because my (laughs) gosh, it needs like, especially at this time, um, people were calling for um, Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres to get nominated for Oscar Oscars for acting. So like their performances were that good. And we've talked about just how good these performances are and just what they're able to do with them. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and it shouldn't surprise you that that was the feeling at the time. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm in full agreement. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, I could, I could seriously, we can go for another three hours <laughs> and I would not slow down. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Well, is there anything tonight? I, you know, I can't promise you three hours, but is there anything <laughs> that we haven't touched on tonight that you, you wanted to dive into? Um. I really, I, I really think we've we've kind of covered most of it. Um, I do also just for a couple of fun facts. Um, mm-hmm. They were before Finding Dory became the official sequel of the of this movie. Mm-hmm. They were. I, I did read that they were banding about some other ideas for a oh, Finding Nemo really? too. And most of those ideas involved what would happen if some of Nemo's siblings uh, survived. Oh, I, I kind of like that, attack. actually. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I know there was one treatment where one um, fish makes it, and the story is that Marlin just basically switches all of his attention to the new fish, and it makes Nemo mm-hmm. jealous. So, oh, okay. I could see that. <laughs> so that that's an interesting deal. And no, no, they uh, they went with um, the giving kind of the, the beloved side character the spotlight. Which I, I honestly think worked. I know people tend to like, maybe not poo-poo Finding Dory, but maybe don't hold it in the same esteem as Finding Nemo, which it doesn't need to be. Yeah, um, I it's it's very difficult to meet or even or surpass the what Finding Nemo did. But having a another movie in that same universe featuring this character dig it into the backstory a little bit more, I think mm-hmm. was. Um, pretty cool i liked it i I thought it was a great movie Um, i haven't seen it so that's interesting it's quite good it 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 dives into kind of where dory came from kind of a find my family story at the heart of it that's nice a lot of great characters in that one too ed o'neill from modern family plays an angry octopus and it's fantastic Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so it's just it's great like that and i also read that for Finding Nemo, for the original, they were going to kind of you kind of uh, show what happened to Coral and the rest of the eggs in flashbacks, as opposed to have that scene taking place at the front of the movie. Mm-hmm. But it felt like it slowed the movie down to do it like that, and oh, okay. they wanted to show why Marlon was the way he was mm-hmm. early. They wound up mm-hmm. taking the idea of telling the backstory through flashbacks for Finding Dory. And so as oh, she remembers okay. things in this movie, that's when those mo- those those backstory moments come out. Ah, okay. Okay. So they're able to say, I don't like, I don't think this, this idea works here, but it could work for this next one that we want to do. And that yeah. just goes to show the creativity and the absolute attention to detail that this movie does. Like, I don't know what all they did to create this world, but I know like for other movies, they'll like 
go do the things that their characters do in order mm -hmm. to figure out how to animate it or get Dancing with the Stars dancers to do a whole flamenco scene so they can animate the ending dance from Toy Story 3 or, or things like that. Interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. Pixar, they're they're they the experts. No, they leave no stone unturned. Andrew mm -hmm. Stanton is a great director of this movie and, again, a fantastic voice for Crush, yeah. too. Um, and so, yeah, it's just there's so much that works in this movie and not many people had faith in it, which I find baffling looking in my 2023 eyes. But yeah. if you think about it, I mean, no one has attempted to do a movie like this, like that before. Um, and I would say, and I'm sure other people would too, that it definitely paid off completely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Um, well, I guess that brings me to my last couple of questions for you. Yes. Uh, number one, um, if you had to summarize it in like a sentence, what keeps you coming back to this film? What keeps me coming back to it is how effortlessly and with such great passion they can tell this story. It's a very difficult story to tell uh, when you think about all the elements, even though it was laid out very succinctly in your opening description, mm -hmm. it's a very, very difficult story to balance all of these elements. I was um, reading like the, mm -hmm. the plot in Wikipedia, just like reading through it. And it's so mm -hmm. hard to follow. Yes. <laughs> you have to see it just because so much is happening and like mm -hmm. is so well told and visually, you know, it's are definitely, interesting. Yeah. There are definitely points where it could be two different movies. It could be, Marlon's race and that's all we focus on or it could be mm -hmm. Nemo and the dentist's office and that's all we focus on but they weave these two things together and show these characters growing at the same time yeah and here's something we didn't talk about when they finally reach the destination Mar uh, Nemo has discovered a way to get um to free himself by playing dead but Marlon doesn't doesn't know that that's what's happening right and it's just this this incredible miscommunication that kind of amplifies or exemplifies all the miscommunications that have happened in the movie mm -hmm. uh, between Marlon and Nemo to set up our our plot. But yeah, man, does that one hit even harder because it's no one's fault. Yeah, that that that's happened. so true. That's a good point. But um, that, but stuff like that. It's thinking about the things that they do in this movie and all of these little things that I catch every time I watch it that keep me coming back and the performances and just knowing that this movie has touched my life in a way with all of the like little stories and things like most of my children's toys when they were like newborn were finding Nemo theme. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> They're going to love that as they get older, knowing all yeah. that backstory that you Absolutely. have in the movie. That's so great. We, we've had them. I would say that we've shown them the movie, but they are not old enough to comprehend what a movie is at this point. Um, so we, but we definitely have had the movie on while they were in the room and they are, fa they are fascinated. One <laughs> last, one last story that I just thought of, um, oh, Disney Plus has something called Dory's Reef Cam. Oh yeah. Where, where it's basically like one of those like digital fireplaces that you can just leave on, but uh -huh. they do that for aquariums now. Like you can oh, just nice. leave on an aquarium and they do it for, um, for finding Nemo. Uh, characters that just kind of it's silent they just kind of show up swim around leave goes on a loop for like three hours and before we discovered some of like the more educational tools like miss rachel who 
who, if you don't know about her, she's like the Sesame Street of this new generation um, on YouTube. I would put on that reef cam when my boys were crying and they would immediately stop crying and stare in wonder at, the, at the scenes. That's nice. It was, and it's just so cool to see them just like gravitate and like have that sense of wonder at such a young age. So I know that's longer than a sentence, but that's, that's what okay. keeps me coming back to this movie. How do you, uh, um, time. oh no, well said. How, how do you mm -hmm. pitch this movie to someone that may not have, you know, I guess rewind back in time and like, mm -hmm. let's say you're, you're telling me to watch this movie uh, before mm -hmm. I saw it. What, what, what would you say? I'm glad you framed it like that because my pitch, just my general pitch for this movie is it's finding Nemo. What's wrong with you? <laughs> that would be how I talk that, about this. Movie. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I had but plenty of time, time to watch it. I don't know what is wrong with me, but, they, but I know, you're but... absolutely right. <laughs> That's and not funny. you, not you yourself, Lisa, but just no, you I in know. general to anyone. No, there's many movies I feel that way about. So <laughs> it just goes to show your passion for it. I understand. Abs <laughs> absolutely. But if I were to put myself back in 20 or 2003, when this movie first happened and be, and I think even then I would have said something like it's dis it's a Disney movie. So that means it's going to be good. It's Pixar. And you remember you like toy Story, So you'll like this one. Yeah. And it's a it's a race across the ocean. So there's a, there's going to be some action in here. Mm -hmm. It's going to have whatever everything you want. And just like I've had a lot of trouble organizing my thoughts throughout this podcast, I would oh, probably okay. just say you have to watch this movie. Yeah, that it's might be classic, the only pick. You know? Say what? It's a classic. It's a classic. It absolutely is. It stands the test of time. It absolutely holds up on every level that we talked about the performances, the. Um, animation the writing the casting everything is evergreen with this movie and i'm so glad that people like love it as much as they do i'm so glad that no one that you've had as a past guest loved it enough to talk about it so i can talk about <laughs> it <laughs> yeah of course but yes yeah, so it's that's it's kind of a a, a short pitch in that regard but man mm -hmm. you just got to see this movie yeah i agree well, Chris, thank you so much for coming back on. It, it, it was truly a pleasure. Thank you for picking this movie. It was so fun to watch. I'm I so glad. I'm so glad you, we've corrected things for you, Lisa, that you finally <laughs> have seen this movie all the way through. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, but for real, welcome. thank you so much for coming on and, and hope to have you back soon. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. 